What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China, the world's second largest economy. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of The China Project. In this week's episode, almost every new smartphone sold in China is equipped with the country's homegrown Beidou navigation system. Car maker BYD launches its first luxury EV line, and China cuts quarantine time for international travelers. With all this and more, let's jump right in. In the latest milestone for the domestic navigation market, more than 130 million, or 98% of new smartphones shipped in China in the first half of the year were fitted with the country's homegrown GPS alternative Beidou, which is Mandarin for Ursa Major, or the Big Dipper. That statistic comes from a new white paper from the China Satellite Navigation Office. China's navigation market has expanded fast in recent years and was worth 470 billion yuan in 2021, an official from the office said. And mobile mapping apps now access Beidou's location services more than 100 billion times each day. The Chinese government began developing the Beidou Navigation Satellite System, also known as BDS, in 1994, in the hope of reducing its military dependence on GPS. It launched its first satellite for the system in 2000. China has gone on to promote the technology as an alternative to GPS around the globe, with the aim of using its homegrown technology in everything from smartphones to smart vehicles. With the final satellite launched in mid-2020 to complete the third Beidou constellation, known as the BDS-3 system, there are a total of 45 satellites in orbit providing precision navigation services. Now, China is preparing to launch between three and five satellites next year to improve the BDS-3 system. It also plans to build a next-generation BDS-4 system by 2035. That system is expected to provide higher precision navigation and positioning services. Still, much is unfolding on the ground and challenges remain, some analysts said, such as the costly construction and maintenance of those base station systems. Meanwhile, domestic phone makers may find themselves in a dilemma between choosing the U.S.-built GPS system or the Chinese alternative. 
Turning to another booming market in China, the EV sector. BYD, which is China's largest EV and hybrid vehicle manufacturer by sales, has just unveiled its first luxury brand of electric vehicles. It is competing with its peers to lure wealthy domestic buyers who have long preferred foreign brands like BMW and Mercedes-Benz. In BYD's latest effort to enter the high-end auto market, Yang Wang Models, its newly commissioned premium line, will begin selling as early as next year with prices ranging from 800,000 yuan, that's about 110,000 U.S. dollars, to 1.5 million yuan, the company said. As a strong competitor in the auto market, the company's wholesale shipments surpassed 200,000 for the second consecutive month in October, according to data from the China Passenger Car Association. That's nearly three times runner-up Tesla's sales in the Chinese market. BYD has long hoped to outgrow its image as a manufacturer of mid- to low-end vehicles amid car buyers' preferences for traditional luxury car brands such as BMW, Mercedes-Benz, and Audi. Meanwhile, some analysts say traditional car makers have not been able to replicate their success in the EV market. Although foreign automakers have advantages in engine, transmission, and chassis technology, their Chinese rivals are more capable in developing core electric systems and battery technology, analysts said. Let's switch gears, as it were, and talk about another hot spot in the domestic market, the annual Double Eleven, or Singles Day Shopping Bonanza, a Chinese version of the U.S. Black Friday event that starts at the end of October and lasts for two or three weeks. It is one of the biggest money earners in the retail calendar. However, this year, some companies have cut their marketing budgets as domestic retail spending slumps and logistics services suffer amid ongoing COVID-19 outbreaks. Cosmetics and skincare merchants, which typically spend big bucks on promotional campaigns, told Caixin that they are focusing instead on sales growth during the shopping event, given that marketing and promotions have failed to generate as many sales as in past years. Others hoarded less inventory, also in anticipation of lower sales. Merchants and analysts generally estimate overall sales during this year's Double Eleven will grow slower, continuing the downward trend seen over the past two years. It seems people just aren't willing to spend as much this year amid a pessimistic income outlook. And moving from business to macro affairs, to help lift subdued private credit demand, China has expanded a key financing support program designed for private businesses. The NAFMII, NAFMI, which is the self-regulatory body of the interbank market backed by the central bank, has widened the program to support about 250 billion yuan, 34.5 billion US dollars, in bond sales by private companies, including real estate developers. NAFMI said on Tuesday, that the move is part of efforts to stabilize the economy and could be expanded further. This bond issuance program was first introduced in late 2018 and was dubbed the, quote, second arrow of China's three funding channels to support the private sector. The others are the first arrow, which refers to bank loans, and the third arrow, which refers to equity financing. 
While private developers are expected to benefit from this bond issuance program, some analysts believe it might not be sufficient to completely resolve the woes faced by private real estate developers in an industry that is suffering from a liquidity crisis and slumping housing sales. And last but not least, let's turn to the latest on China's COVID rules. China has reduced the quarantine time for international travelers by two days. People flying into the Chinese mainland will be required to spend five days in a hotel or government quarantine facility, followed by three days in home isolation. The current rules require a week in hotel and then three days at home. Also, one pre-departure PCR test will be required now for travelers attempting to enter the mainland, as opposed to the two previously required. The new measures also scrapped the circuit breaker mechanism that penalizes airlines for bringing COVID cases into the mainland. The easing came on Friday as China's top leadership body has issued instructions for a more targeted approach to dealing with the virus. Right now, the latest COVID wave in China has been escalating over the past couple of weeks, with major cities like Guangzhou and Beijing dealing with rising case numbers. The latest rule change brings hope that China is recalibrating its stringent zero COVID strategy, which could gradually lead to the country's reopening, a process that's bound to help restore confidence and lift economic growth. Let's turn now to Jonathan Breen, who covers Asia Pacific Equity Capital Markets for Caixin Global. But today we are talking about something entirely different. Hello, Jonathan, and、uh, very nice to have you on the program today. Thank you, Kaiser. It's great to be here. So we're here to talk about the abuse of a particular type of, of drug among teenagers in China. What is DXM, and and how is it abused? So DXM is short for dextromethorphan. It's a common ingredient found in、uh, over-counter cough medicine.、Uh, it's considered by WHO to be safe, non-narcotic, and highly effective. However, That's assuming it's taken in small doses. DXM is in fact a psychotropic substance, and when taken in large quantities, it can give high similar to PCP or ketamine. This type of cough medicine abuse、uh, is known commonly as robo tripping, and has been common in Western countries for decades. And while it's damaging to the body, it's not generally considered deadly. But large doses of it can become life-threatening when mixed with other substances or alcohol. The standard dose is 60 milligrams, with a maximum of 120 milligrams for a 24-hour period. At doses of 100 milligrams to 300 milligrams, you can get side effects ranging from mild high to euphoria, and hallucinations can also occur. While at 300 milligrams to 600 milligrams, dissociation can occur. If someone were to take 600 milligrams or more of DXM, then they run the risk of complete dissociation and even coma. That's according to the U.S. National Center for Biotechnology Information. So China has some of the strictest drug laws in the world, as I understand it. So why is DXM so hard for the government to control? Ironically, DXM was created to address the abuse of a previous generation cough medicine called codeine, which is now listed as a narcotic drug in China and has been since 
And China does have some of the toughest drug controls of any country. It has hundreds of narcotic and psychotropic drugs listed as controlled substances. However, it can't simply add every drug being abused to that list. Currently, DXM is a non-controlled substance because its physical reaction is weak in in most cases. If it were to be classified as a class two drug, meaning a controlled substance, that would effectively make pharmacy sales equivalent to drug trafficking. And again, DXM is just one such substance that can be abused. Some healthcare industry experts have compared the government's efforts in regulating these kind of legal highs to a game of whack-a-mole. Hmm. Because as soon as one drug is dealt with, another one pops up elsewhere. Right. So the government is faced with the problem of trying to curb cough medicine abuse while the drug is readily available. So Jonathan, what is the government doing to address this problem of, of abuse of DXM? Authorities have attempted to stem the over-the-counter source by making DXM medicines prescription only. Mm-hmm. In December 2021, the National Medical Products Administration changed DXM from an OTC medicine to a prescription drug, which means users can only purchase it for medical purposes with a doctor's prescription. The new guidance from the regulator also deleted the expression of long-term use does not cause addiction and tolerance from the label. I see. The change has had a varied impact, though. For example, at Beijing Gaoxin Drug Hospital, the effect was immediate. The hospital's director told Saishin that from 2017 through to last year, the number of young DXM users had ballooned from 50 to 400. But this year, the facility has received fewer than 100 users. Hmm. However, many of the users not from that hospital that were interviewed by Xin said they had begun abusing DXM this year. This is largely due to online drug sales, which provide a loophole for users. The government's next move is to tighten the online sales with new guidelines enforced beginning this December, which will require people buying prescription drugs online to provide their real names. And e-commerce platforms will also have to verify buyers' information before making any sales. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But healthcare officials have also stressed that raising public awareness of the dangers of medicine abuse through education and publicity programs is needed as well. Jonathan, who is abusing DXM and why? Who are the people who are actually using this? DXM abuse and the use of other legal highs is mostly prevalent among teenagers and young adults. Mm -hmm. Among those that Saishin encountered, many also had existing mental health issues. Oh. One college student who started taking DXM this year told Saishin that she was diagnosed with depression five years ago, was suffering from insomnia, and had tried self-harm. She said that she also felt detached from society and not important to her parents. She first tried taking DXM after seeing someone describe it as having a magical effect online. Tsaishin accessed these online chat groups, and some of the things they were discussing included overdose tutorials, 
which were about mixing this uh, this drug with other psychotropic substances. Uh, and they also were sharing purchase channels for users to stock up and discussing alternative drugs. I see. So considering how easy it is for someone in this position to begin using legal highs like DXM, doctors and professionals involved in the frontline treatment of juvenile drug abuse are calling for the core focus of drug abuse prevention and control to be placed on the users rather than the drugs, namely solving the issue causing emotional instability. Yeah, that sounds like the right approach. And the younger the user, the harder it is to trace because they are less likely to appear in China's existing drug abuse monitoring system, which includes local compulsory rehab institutions, law enforcement agencies, psychiatric hospitals, and voluntary drug rehab centers. Experts worry that the system is not as effective in detecting young DXM users because their buying channels and usage habits are more concealed than typical drug abusers. Some have suggested establishing a real-time, multi-level detection system on psychoactive medical drugs. Monitoring of internet transactions would need to be especially strengthened in order to gain complete oversight of users to grasp the scale of abuse and implement corresponding controls quickly. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for all the great insights. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and by Kelsey Chang, Lin Jinbing, Jonathan Breen, and Zijan Wang at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin at Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from The China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.